So if you have a Bible uh, or a Bible app on your phone, go to John chapter 1. Uh, M is going to uh, read the Christmas story uh, from John's perspective in John's gospel. So, uh, Emily, I'm going to turn it over to you. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to every, everyone. The light, shi- the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John, John himself was not the light. He was, he was simply a witness to tell about the light. The, light the, one who, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to, all who, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become, to become children of God. They are reborn not, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we, and we have never seen his glory and glory of the Father's one and only Son. Awesome. Thank you, sweethearts. Let me give you a little kissy kiss. They should have clapped for you. I don't know why they didn't clap for you. Yeah. The 630 crowd is a tough crowd, apparently, darling. That's uh, the word on the street anyway. Good, uh, so I have about 15 minutes to uh, unpack for us the most cataclysmic event in all of human history. Sounds fun, hey? Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach out of John chapter 1, but I'm not going to teach the whole chapter because I only have a few minutes. I want to honor uh, your time tonight. But what I am going to teach from is John chapter uh, 1, verse 14. Uh, John wrote, Uh, his gospel, and when he shares the account of the birth of Jesus, he shares from a completely different perspective uh, than any of the other gospels. There's four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, if you're not familiar uh, with the Bible. Mark's gospel has no reference to the birth of Jesus. Matthew and Luke, uh, in their accounts of the birth of Jesus, their accounts are kind of the account you would expect to hear. You you hear about shepherds, you hear about mangers, uh, you hear about babies, that whole thing. John shares from a completely different perspective. In John's perspective, what he's doing is he's actually pulling back the veil and he's showing us what happens behind the scenes, the significance of Christmas. And I think probably the right question to be asking on a night like tonight is why does this matter? Why Christmas? Why is it important? What's the big deal? We're talking about a baby. We're talking about something that if it even happened was 2,000 years ago, what is the relevance today? I mean, there's no way to escape the reality that the Christmas season is uh, it's just an overwhelming time of the year. Uh, if you, you know, have two feet in a heartbeat, if you walk into any Starbucks, any store, if you went to, you know, if you braved the elements and hit up like Walmart or something like that today, like this thing just takes over, right? Like it, it, it takes over the types of foods we eat, the playlists on our phone, the songs on the radio, like even uh, the clothing we wear, like, uh, like socks, right? Like we wear Christmas socks at Christmas time. No other holiday, no other day of the year has the ability to do odd things to us like Christmas. Like some of you have fake animals like on your front lawn. 
We, we, have pla- we have a plastic tree in our living room. That's weird. That's weird. No? Yeah. It's weird. It's okay. Just own it. Embrace it. But something happens at Christmas time that just sort of transcends us. It, it, it kind of takes over. And, and here's what I would submit to us this evening. That while Christmas in many ways is beautiful, it's beautiful how it pulls us together as families. I think it's beautiful. as it, <laughs> uh, It's beautiful how it pulls us together as families, as communities. Like there's these traditions and these things that just kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, they make our hearts sing. But, but here's what I would contend. That in and of themselves, just if that's all Christmas is, it's not that significant. In fact, I would argue that perhaps we have fallen prey and we just settle for far too less, for too little. That what we've embraced at Christmas actually isn't that significant at all. While there's some good things about it, if that's all it is, it's really not that big a deal. And what John is going to do in his gospel is he's going to make three claims about Christmas that I think uh, we, we have to deal with them. On some level, we have to deal with them. Whether you are here because uh, your parents are holding your presents hostage, uh, lest you come to the Christmas Eve service with them, and you're you know, sort of doing your parents a favor to make Christmas palpable, uh, or whether you've been coming to church gatherings for your whole life, there's no way to get around the fact that the truth that John unpacks here in his gospel about the birth of Jesus, the the claims that he is making about the significance of the birth of Jesus, they need to be dealt with. And so what I'm going to do is unpack three from John chapter 1 verse 14. The first claim that John makes in John chapter 1 verse 14 is this, that at Christmas we see that Jesus is God. If you have your Bibles or you can follow along on on the screen, you'll see that John starts verse 14 and he Uh, uses a word, and the word is word. He references Jesus, and he calls him the word. Now, what's interesting about this title for Jesus is it actually, it sort of tells us something about who Jesus is. If you think about what what words are, uh, when they are, you know, in relation to people, words are, in a sense, the truest expression of a person's being. Just think about this with me for a second. You can know about someone without speaking to them, but you can't actually know them without speaking to them. Uh, So so here's just maybe a simple example. But I I go to the gym. I've been working out at the same gym for uh, a number of years. And the same people tend to go to the gym at the same time, the same days of the week. So for the last number of years, I have worked out like next to people. uh, You know, we, we spend multiple hours a week together. Now, at the gym, there's this weird sociological thing where nobody talks to each other. It's kind of like being on the bus, right? They have their earbuds in and, and nobody speaks. And so I see these people. I see, I, they're not strangers, but like I see them every day of my life. I watch them. I can infer things about them by how much they lift, the way they lift, the, the way that they look at themselves in the mirror, the way that they peacock as they head over to the water fountain. Like I can, I can learn about them, but I can't actually know them unless I actually talk to them. There's another group of people that come to the gym. They're a little bit older, more like my parents' age. And they don't wear earbuds. They are from the pre-earbud generation. And they love to chat at the gym. They do way more talking than they do lifting. And 
what has happened over the last number of years is we've actually become friends. Now, we don't hang out outside of the gym. I call them my gym buddies. And we talk at the gym, and I know their names, and I know their kids' names, and I know what they're doing for the holidays, and I know what their Christmas traditions are. I actually know about them because of their words. Words are the truest expression of who we are. Now, now, to take this to John chapter 1, to take this to Christmas, here's what John is saying. He's saying that Jesus is actually the revelation of who God is. So, so this, is, this is one of those, right, mind-blowing claims that John is making when it comes to Christmas. I mean, if you were actually paying attention to the words that we were singing, like, why would it make sense to come and adore a baby who was born in a functional barn? It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense at all. In fact, it's foolish to do so. Unless there's something significant about that baby. And you see, what John is claiming here is that that baby isn't just a baby. But that baby is actually the Word of God. That is Jesus, the Word. The truest expression of who God is. So, so here's just two basic implications for us if what John is saying about the Christmas story is true. The first one is this, and this is beautiful. We can actually know God. I mean, just think about that for a second. I think if we're honest, there's this deep longing inside the human psyche to know something that is beyond ourselves, something that is transcendent. I mean, we live in, you know, West Coast, Victoria. We, I call it SBNR, spiritual but not religious, right? Where the, the secular humanistic narrative has dominated our culture. And the pendulum has swung so far out with the, the neo-atheistic movement. I know this is deep for Christmas Eve, but just bear with me for a second. But here's what's starting to happen. Naturalism had its run uh, you know, in our day, but here's what is now taking place. People are recognizing that to divorce any meaning from life and to live underneath the gospel that we, we were just, you know, products of evolution, mere evolution. There's no God in the universe. We are just a bunch of chemicals and neurons bouncing around. It just doesn't make sense of the world around us. We long for something outside of ourselves. And what John is saying here is you can actually know that God. You can know him personally and intimately because he revealed himself to you in Jesus. I mean, that's just amazing. And some of you, again, you know, and, and I don't want to pick on the people that got dragged here by their parents, but just for a second, I'm going to. You're thinking to yourself, that's great preacher, man. But I'm not going to believe in children's fairy tales. I'm not going to believe anything on faith. Here's the beautiful thing about the claim that John is making here in his gospel. And here's the beautiful thing just about this one word he uses to describe Jesus. The Greek word in which the New Testament was originally written that he uses here for this word word is the word logos. And the English word that we derive from that Greek word is the word logic. See, what, what John is saying here, it's actually profound. He's saying you don't have to believe anything on faith. Use your logic. Use your reasoning. See, some people, we think we need to have an airtight argument for the existence of God in order for us to believe that God is real. And philosophy 101 would tell you that there's no such thing as an airtight argument for anything. What John is saying here is God's given you something better than an airtight argument for the proof 
of the existence of God, he's giving you an airtight person. He's making a historical claim that there was a person named Jesus who did indeed claim to be God. And for many of us, we're going to just reject it because we watched a YouTube video or we read a book. And what John is saying is don't do that. Investigate. Read the Gospels. Ask hard questions. Don't believe anything on faith. See, at Christmas, what what John is saying is at Christmas, all the cards get put on the table. Christianity is not asking you to check your brain at the door, but what it's saying is you can actually know who God is through Jesus. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Here's the second thing that John is saying. He says, the word became flesh. What John is saying is that at Christmas, not only do we see that Jesus is God, but at Christmas we also see that Jesus actually took on flesh. Like he, he incarnated or, or put on skin. That God entered into our world. He became like one of us. As one author wrote in his translation of this verse, he says that God moved into the neighborhood. Another way of looking at this is that God humbled himself. God made himself vulnerable. Uh, we see this in the Christmas narrative where we see baby Jesus, right? To quote Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights, six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. That's actually God with skin on. That's God humbling himself. That's God making himself vulnerable. And an interesting question to ask is why would God do this? Why would God humble himself and take on flesh? Why would God humble himself and come as a baby? Well, John gives us the answer. If you go back just a few verses in John chapter 1, here's what he says in verse, uh, verses 4 and 5. He says, In him, talking about Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, so here's what John is saying. The reason that God took on flesh, and he gives this beautiful picture, is that God is light. He looked down at the world. He saw the world was dark, and he wanted to come and make himself known among the darkness. And now, when John uses these uh, images of light and dark, what he's really talking about, and these aren't fun words to talk about on Christmas, but you can't actually have Christmas without these words. He's talking about good and evil. The main premise of the Christmas narrative is that God himself is good and that the world is dark and broken. And we don't like to talk about that. right? We like to distract ourselves from the brokenness of the world. We, that's why we have smartphones and Candy Crush. right? Because we just want to become numb to the reality around us. That's much of what the Christmas season has become. It's just numbing yourselves to the brokenness that exists. And then you wake up on the 26th and you're just broke, and you have a whole bunch of wrapping paper that you're not sure what you're going to do with and stuff that you don't need, but the brokenness is still there. See, inherently, inherently, we know this is true. This is the premise of every single world religion that has ever existed. Religion's premise is that the world is dark, and we, God is good, and we need to do something to get to God. Even if you're here and you're not religious, the, the secular narrative tells us the same thing. We, since the dawn of the Enlightenment, we've been living under the, this myth, this, the myth of progress is what sociologists call it. That when we become smart enough, when we've learned enough things, when we've evolved far enough beyond where we are today, we can actually outsmart the brokenness of the world. I think if we're honest, if we just look around, we're like, this is not 
the case. We're actually just figuring out more sophisticated ways to be dark, more sophisticated ways to be broken. And I mean, even on a personal level, we know this is true. Like, we're going to go have dinner with people tomorrow, and it's like the whole time, this is what you're going to be thinking the whole time. Either I need to keep my mouth shut or stab that guy in the, fore, in the eye with my fork, right? Like, it's that crazy uncle, the weird aunt, and you're like, oh, I don't know who that person is. It might be you. Like, that might be you, and everyone's thinking that about you. I mean, just go to a Walmart parking lot or go to Costco on Sunday afternoon, and you will see the depravity of humanity on display. But here's the beautiful thing. This is, this is what we're talking about at Christmas, is that God, the light, looked at the darkness that is our world, and he didn't say, man, it sucks down there. Good luck. Hope you can figure it out. He took on flesh. He made himself vulnerable. He actually entered into the darkness. And again, this is where Christianity sets itself apart from every worldview, every philosophy, every other idea in the world. Is It's about you trying harder to make yourself better. That's the message of Tony Robbins. That's the message of Oprah. That's the message of every other world religion. But the message of Jesus is you are so broken that you can't make yourself better, and I will come and enter into your darkness, and I will make you better. It's good news, friends. God says he actually wants to save you. You don't have to save yourself. And if that isn't worth singing about and worshiping, if the God who spoke the universe into existence and hung the stars in the heavens has you on his mind, I, I don't know what else to sing about. And then the third thing. So the first thing, at Christmas we see that Jesus is God. At Christmas we see God's word made flesh. And then the third thing is that at Christmas, we see God actually dwelt among us. You see this right here in verse 14. Look at what it says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He made his dwelling among us. That word that John uses to describe Jesus's incarnation, his coming to be with us, that word dwelling, another way of translating it would be tent. In other words, what John is saying is that God came and he set up his tent right among us, like in our neighborhood. In your backyard, he put his tent up. Now again, this tells us something about God, doesn't it? This, this reveals something to us about the kind of God that is described in the New Testament, in the Christian Bible. I mean, it wouldn't be, I don't, I don't think at least it would be surprising to us if the God of the universe came to earth and he set up a palace in the center of the city and had huge walls and it was an impenetrable force that you or I couldn't actually get into. That would make sense. He's God. That's, he's big. He's holy. He's other than. He can do that. It wouldn't surprise us. In fact, if any of us were God, that's probably what we would do. That pretty much describes our house, right? Tall fences, garage doors that close behind our cars. Like we just kind of have our own palaces separate from everyone else. But John says that's not what God's like. God didn't set up a palace in the center of the city that you couldn't get into. He set up a tent in your backyard. He has to come to your door and knock on it when he wants to use the bathroom. See, what John's trying to show us is that in Christ, in this Christmas story, in this birth of a baby, 
God actually enters into our brokenness. He wants to be near you. Again, I don't know, right? It's Christmas Eve. Who knows who's here and why they're here? But friends, know this, that you are never beyond the reach of God. You may be running from him, but he can run faster and further. And he delights to run after his children. The light entered into the darkness. If you know anything about the story of Jesus, the narrative of Jesus, the way that the the, the Gospels describe the life of Jesus, Jesus goes on from being a baby, he grows up, he starts to teach and preach about God. He starts to perform miracles. He starts to heal people. He starts to invite other people to come and follow him. And then as the story continues on and moves forward, Jesus's life goes towards his death. And Jesus's death took place on the cross. And what we see where Jesus goes to the cross, what we see is the light, that's Jesus, the light becoming the darkness. Uh, In Mark's gospel account of the death of Jesus, he has He has this verse where he says this about the death of Jesus. At noon, so midday when it was not dark, darkness came over the whole land. That as Jesus was about to give up his life, as he was about to give up his spirit, take his last breath, darkness came over the land. And in that moment, something was happening. You see, it wasn't just that Jesus entered into our world. It wasn't that Jesus just entered into the darkness. Think about this with me, friends. He became dark. The darkness overtook him. But the story doesn't end there. Again, if you know the story, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts, three days after Jesus' death, he rose again. He conquered death. He conquered evil conquered the darkness. He validated that everything he said about himself and everything that others said about him was indeed true. Then he says this. During his teaching, he says this about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. And though the darkness tried to overtake him, it could not do it. He defeated the darkness. And his invitation to us, his invitation to us this Christmas is to come to him, to receive him, to believe in him, to take him in, to come and adore him whether it's the first time or whether you've been doing this your whole life, it's to allow this transcendent celebration that we call Christmas to change your life. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we wind down our time together. But can I just ask us, as people who are about to embark on the craziness of Christmas, right? Turkey dinners, yams with marshmallows in them, fake trees, presents, 
Boxing Day sales, all that is Christmas. Can I just challenge all of us not to settle? Not to settle for those things. They're good things that we get to enjoy, but not to stay there. But to allow the Spirit of God to move us to this place where we actually see the beauty of God's plan. The grace that God would have for us. The 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 transcendent reality that God entered into human flesh, that he came for us, that he moved into our neighborhood, that he pursues us, that he loves us, that he wants to know us. I invite you to stand. I'd like to pray for us. Just as we pray, as we close our time together, I want to invite you just to enjoy this moment that God has given you. That even this breath that we are about to breathe is from His hand. So God, as we come before you right now in this moment, I just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. There aren't words we can speak or songs that we can sing that can stir our hearts and our affections for you. That is a work that your Spirit does. So Spirit, make the words of us adoring you. Oh, come, let us adore you. Not just be words on our lips, but songs that are sung in our hearts that we would be floored in awe of your amazing grace, your unending love. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Merry Christmas.